Ave Maria, and welcome to Divine Poetry, a series that explores the chronological parallels between the history of the Catholic Church and the Old Testament. If you're new to this concept, go back and watch my interview with Kevin Davis. The link is in the video description below. To make things more simple, I have divided up church history and the Old Testament into eight color-coded time periods. Below you can see a scrolling bar with the names, dates, and the Old Testament books for each period. Use this timeline to guide you in each video. The color frame of each video will match the time period that we're discussing. Now, let's start today's episode. Hello everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Divine Poetry. Uh, today's episode, I want to discuss the parallels between Martin Luther and the Protestants in the Old Testament. I figure this would be a subject that might be useful to some people who have Protestant relatives, or maybe some of you converted out of Protestantism into the traditional uh, Catholic faith. I personally know a couple people in my life that have done that, so I chose this topic. Maybe it would interest you more than maybe some other ones. Um, before I start, though, I want to announce that my book is nearing completion, which I am very excited about. It's a serious attempt to document these parallels with citations and footnotes and a bibliography. Oh, and by the way, I want to thank my friend Dan for the suggestion uh, about that. I will let you know when it's done. It shouldn't be that much longer. I'm very excited about it. Okay, so for today, uh, let's talk about Martin Luther and his Old Testament parallel, Jeroboam. Now, to set the stage for this, let me pull up here. You can see on the screen the overall kind of summary of these parallels that I've put together with pictures in a nice graphical presentation. Uh, there's the color-coded time periods that you can see going through the middle of that graph. And we're going to be talking about events in the green time period, which I've named Revolt and Separation. Just to go back a little bit and to set the stage, um, I'm sure all of, you, all of you are familiar with King David and then like um, afterwards King Solomon. King David's rule was characterized by his piety and by his devotion to God, and also by the many wars that he fought. And then his son Solomon was the one who built the temple, and his reign is characterized by grandeur, opulence, a lot of architecture, uh, arts and the sciences, his wisdom, but also the corruption that he brought into Israel. And then finally, if I didn't mention this already, he built the temple. He was the temple builder. Now, in church history, we have the parallels for that that are happening over the span of hundreds of years. Um, I should probably point out that David's reign consisted of many books of the Old Testament. Uh, it was books of one and two kings, and I think into three kings. Uh, don't quote me on that. Um, which is a substantial amount of text. So that's why it seems that um, David's reign is, has a long time frame in church history. But basically, it's the Middle Ages. Um, uh we have um, Catholic piety is is very uh, substantial and high, um, and then the Crusades are, are happening, which are equivalent to David's wars. And then after the Middle Ages, we have the Renaissance, and the Renaissance is akin to King Solomon um, for, I think, obvious reasons. You have uh, an emphasis on architecture, on beauty, on the arts. You have uh, also corruption. You have the Renaissance thinkers of the time going back and digging up old manuscripts from pagan Greek and pagan Roman sources and then using those and interjecting those ideas into, into Christendom, which is the start of the humanist movement um, and on. But anyway, um, at the time that 
they're building the St. Peter's Basilica in church history, you have the temple being built by Solomon in the Old Testament. Okay, now, here's where we're going to pick up our story, because that moment of the temple building is really the transition, the transition point in my system of parallels here between the Yellow Period and the Green Period. So the Green Period, again, is called Revolt and Separation. And that, in the Old Testament, is from a man named Jeroboam. Now, the story is, is that uh, King Solomon was a great builder, and he also lived a very opulent lifestyle, and his taxes were kind of high. So when Solomon died, his son, King Reboam, was approached by a delegate or a, uh, a delegation from the 10 northern tribes. If you recall, Israel had 12 tribes. Judah was the tribe that contained Jerusalem, the temple, the high priest, and the king. So religion and government were all centered in Judah. The other 10 tribes to the north, or 10, 10 tribes to the north, were disenfranchised from all of that activity. And they didn't see a value in those high taxes. They were all benefiting Judah. So they approached King Reboam and said, lessen the taxes or we're going to revolt against you. And this, uh, the leader of this revolt was Jeroboam. Now I should probably read here from the Old Testament just a little bit so you can see the quote here. Um, I'll put the, um, the citation uh, below. I'm just going to read it. So, and they sent and called him, Jeroboam came, and all the multitude of Israel. And they spoke to Reboam, saying, Thy father laid a grievous yoke upon us now. Therefore do thou take off a little of the grievous service of thy father and of his most heavy yoke, which he put upon us, and we will serve thee. So they're asking him to lower the taxes. And Reboam takes advice from his uh, advisors, his, his consultants, he has two kinds of consultants. He has the older kind, which are more diplomatic, more pragmatic. They've seen a lot of things. They understand how these things work. And you have these young advisors that he grew up with that were very fiery and eager to assert themselves. Um, they had Now their friend was the king, and they couldn't wait to, to wield the, 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 the sword of power and authority through him. So it says next that he, Reboam, left the council of the old men, um, which they had given him and consulted with the young men that had been brought up with him and stood before him. So Reboam's rejecting the advice of the elders and he's accepting the advice of the younger. So the king then goes and answers Jeroboam. And he says, um, here's, the, here's the quote. And the king answered the people roughly, leaving the counsel of the old, leaving the counsel of the old, which they had given him. And he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father beat you with whips. I will beat you with scorpions. So he's upping the ante. Uh, and this, of course, causes Jeroboam and the 10 tribes of the north to say, that's it, we're done. And they started a revolt um, from that point forward. Now, um, let me go back here to church history. Just make sure I don't miss anything. I'm always missing something. Okay. Um, and then we have Martin Luther is... is, um, is is upset that Pope Leo X and the Roman, uh, the, the clergy, have very uh, high standard of living, uh, very opulent lifestyles. And he picks on, Martin Luther picks on the way that, one of the ways that the Pope is funding the construction of St. Peter's Basilica. He's funding the, 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 the lavishness in Rome. And he's also funding some wars and a potential crusade um, Pope Leo X has a lot of expenditures that he has to um, to uh, to meet with revenue. 
So he c- continues the practice of, um, of issuing indulgences in Germany and other places in Northern Europe. Um, now, just maybe put a caveat here. During the Crusades, those who could not go on crusade could have, could give a donation instead and therefore receive the crusader indulgence. So the church has no problem, and rightfully so, of course, no problem um, granting indulgences for sacrifices made, uh, whether, whether it be a crusading effort or a, a donation of, of money. So there's, in theory, there's, in, in, in principle, there's no, pract- there's no problem with, um, with uh, money and indulgences kind of being tied together. Um, but the Council of Trent did condemn, and I'll read you the quote here, it did condemn the abusive practice of indulgences. And my point here is that Luther objects to the abusive practice of the, of the revenues, um, the revenue genera- generation, just like Jeroboam was objecting to the abusive tax policies of his king, Reboam. I may read you a quote from Luther. Not that I like quoting Luther, but it serves to highlight the point. This is from his thesis number 86. This is Luther talking, not me. Okay. Why does not the Pope, whose wealth today is greater than the wealth of the richest Crassus, build the Basilica of St. Peter's with his own money rather with the money of the poor believers? That's from his thesis number 86 that he nailed to the church door in Wittenberg. So there you see... um, the, the correlation between Luther and Jorbaum, therefore, initially. All right. Let me read you that quote from Trent so you can believe me. Um, this comes from, well, I'll, I'll put the, I'll put the uh, citation below. I'm going to uh, quote now. And being desirous that the abuses which have crept therein, and by occasion of which the honorable name of indulgences is blasphemed by heretics, be amended and corrected, it ordains generally by this decree that all evil gains for the obtaining thereof, indulgences, whence a most prolific cause of abuses amongst the Christian people has been derived, be wholly abolished. Okay, good. Um, and then also another point I want to make with, with uh, Pope Leo X is that he had um, advisors from his family, his cousins that he grew up with. Just like Reboam had the young advisors that he grew up with, the Medicis, there was, uh, let me see if I can find their names here. Um, well, if I don't have them here, there was, there was two of them. There was Julio and uh, I think Lorenzo, probably. They're all Lorenzos. But um, he, and he, so Pope Leo X was also a Medici himself. So he was taking advice partly from his young cousins that he grew up with, just like Roboam was. That's amazing. Okay, so next, then, uh, Jeroboam in the Old Testament, he decrees that they're going to go into revolt. And I'm going to quote here. It says, And Israel revolted from the house of David unto this day, and it came to pass, when all Israel heard that Jeroboam was coming again, that they gathered an assembly, sent and called him, and made him king over all Israel, and no one followed the house of David but the tribe of Judah only. So there is the separation in the revolt. And then shortly after Luther um, started the Protestant revolt, he um, he was instrumental in forming for, in the formation of the, what's called the Schmalkotic League. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right. But it was a league of Protestant princes inside the Holy Roman Empire that refused to be subject to it anymore. And that was the beginning of a new political system in the north of Europe, the north of Christendom, that they effectively separated with a new religion and a new political structure, just like that was happening in the Old Testament under Jeroboam. Now, here's where it gets really interesting, I think, okay? So Jeroboam now, he had authority. Well, uh, he, he usurped authority from the, the, the rightful king of Judah. Now he had to pry the people of the north away from the religion that they kn- knew and practiced their whole lives, which was the, 
the temple sacrifice, the obedience to the high priest, the all the Mosaic law. Because Jeroboam knew that if the people practiced those things, they would return to the Old Testament covenant. So he set up two golden calves in the north. Now, I'm going to read you a somewhat lengthy, lengthy quote, but I want to get this established. It's only, I don't know, a couple paragraphs. I'll, I'll make it quick. But I'm going to establish here through the Old Testament quote that Jeroboam started a new line of priests, that he set up two new golden calves, and he put a new feast day, established a new feast day, all with the purpose of prying the people in the north away from their religion and their obedience to the king in, in, in the uh, temple system. All right, here we go. And Jeroboam said in his heart, now shall the kingdom return to the house of David if these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And the heart of this people will turn to their Lord Reboam, the king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to him. And finding a device, he made two golden calves and said to them, Go you up no more to Jerusalem. Behold the gods of Israel who brought thee out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel and the other sent in Dan. And this thing became an occasion for sin, for the people went and adored the, the calves as far as Dan. And he made temples in the high places and priests of the lower, lowest of the people, and were not of the sons of Levi. And he appointed a feast in the eighth month, of the fifteenth day of the month, and the manner of the feast that was celebrated in Judah. So he kind of mimicked it. And going up to the altar, he did in like manner in Bethel to sacrifice to the calves. Okay, so here you have a couple things going on, like I mentioned. He puts up two golden calves. And he says there that I have to do these things lest they return to the temple sacrifice and, and to the king. I also make note that he started a new line of, of priests um, from the lowest caste of the people. And then he started a new feast day. And it gives a date there. It says it's the 15th day of the eighth month. That's very significant. I'll get to that in a minute. So Luther's doing the same thing in church history. He's trying to pry Catholics away from their going to mass. He, so Jeroboam wants them to stop going to the temple to offer sacrifice. And Luther says, no more mass. He says, the mass is not a sacrifice. Um, don't go there anymore. And he's trying to pry uh, Catholics away from obedience to the Pope, allegiance to church teaching, um, from every system of government and religion that was in place. He has to pry them out of that, lest they return back to it again through the practice of Catholic religion. So Luther sets up two new uh, uh, beliefs, sola scriptura and sola fide, or some say sola gratiae, so by grace alone. Um, so, um, and uh, just as Jeroboam claims that those two calves were the, 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 the gods that brought Israel out of Egypt, Luther claims that Catholics or Christians have always believed that the Bible was the authority and not the, the church, not the Pope. And he also um, denies um, uh, works. So he says sola fide. Um, and he has these two uh, new false doctrines that he sets in place, claiming they were believed the whole time by the church, just like Jeroboam claims that it was those two gods that brought Israel out of Egypt. And Luther does this because he has to pry, he has to give a new authority now. You can't say the church is still the authority because he's rebelling from it. So he has to find a new authority, and that would be sola uh, scriptura. So there's the two golden calves of Luther, amazingly. Luther, he abolishes the um, lineage of, or, of, of Episcopal ordination and, and priestly consecration, obviously. And now he pulls his ministers from anybody who wants to be a minister who seems kind of charismatic or has money. I don't know how he picks them. Just like Jeroboam uh, finds a new priest from the lower classes that aren't of the tribe of Levi. Because remember, it's the Levites in the Old Testament that were the priests. And then finally, I might end here. I don't know how long this is going so far. But... Um, 
Luther, um, did he start a new feast day? Uh, yes, he did, but he didn't do it intentionally. Maybe, well, he, he did. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't say I'm going to start a new feast day, but there is a Protestant feast day that is unique to Protestants and it's Reformation Day. It's the one day that Protestants get together and they celebrate like a feast day, their own church feast day, where Luther nailed his theses to the uh, door in Wittenberg, Germany. And that defines Protestantism. That's why they celebrated that. Um, now, curiously, I looked to see when Jeroboam set up his new feast day, and it gives a date for that. Like I said, it's the 15th day of the eighth month. And that eighth month is called Sheshvan, I think it's called. Um, let me just make sure I'm pronouncing it right. Uh, Sheshvan, excuse me. Okay. So I curiously looked to see when that occurs on a Gregorian calendar. Now, the, remember, Jewish um, Jewish calendar months float because they're lunar cycles, so they're not always the same, but they always center around a certain time in a Gregorian calendar. So it just so happens, though, that the 15th day of Cheshvan will usually fall in late October or early November. And Reformation Day is October 31st. So you have the feast day that Jeroboam set up and Reformation Day are the same time. It's the same thing. That is amazing to me. That's amazing. Okay, I think I'm hitting all these points. Let me go back down a little more. Um, that's pretty good there. I think I'll call this a video. Um, yeah. All right. So I uh, hope you enjoyed it and there's plenty more to come. Again, I have a book coming out that I take a very serious look. I gathered all my writings and all my thoughts and I coalesced them and condensed them and tried to write them as well as I could um, with the help of some editors and the help of some advisors who are giving me some recommendations. I provided citations uh, for some facts that might be more obscure, and I have footnotes to explain some of my thoughts, and I hope that it presents to whoever's interested a complete and um, uh, yet thorough uh, presentation of the parallels between church history and the Old Testament from start to finish, even to our present day, and I also hope that it's something you can give to people as another way to try to convert them or you know that you can beg god's grace um through this this project because it's if you go through the book it's undeniable in my mind that church history is prefigured by the old testament and if if that is true then the conclusions in the books of the maccabees lead you right out of the novus ordo so that's why i hope this book can help a lot of people all right that'll be it for today um glory be to god ave maria and i'll see you next week